So we're starting a new series today, Rediscovering Love. And what I love about that title is that it is ongoing. We don't just discover love, we rediscover, and it, and it keeps happening over and over again. And uh, I, I want to, again, acknowledge that this church, there are no perfect churches, but this is a reasonably healthy one. And uh, you never really know um, what's going on in the life of the person that you're sitting beside. Uh, there are challenges that people face that are unknown to the ones across the aisle or the one who's in the seat beside them. And being a gracious community that um, doesn't assume too much, um, but also just recognizes that we are all a work in progress, that we are learning what it means to rediscover the love of God. And we are transformed not by people who um, kind of put over us a template of judgment and expectations. We are transformed by the unconditional love and grace of God. That is what changes a human heart. When somebody knows that they are in the crosshairs of God's love and that they've experienced, and I say often like been thrown in the deep end of God's grace, and then they say, oh my word, all of this has been done for me. This is what God thinks of me. And then the rest of our lives, we live out of a place of gratitude to say, thanks be to God for all that has been done for me. And so I want to, in advance again, thank you for being a non-judgmental, gracious community. Are there standards in the Christian life? Well, love always does what's best for the beloved. And any standard that is invited for us to step up to is because it's wonderfully good for us. Um, but God is the one in his word who lays out standards that we ought to take seriously and that we ought to access the spirit in order to um, live in step, so to speak. Remember, stay in step with the spirit, stay in step with his ways. Um, but it's something that happens where there's a power within us and uh, the guide of God's word and the um, strength of his spirit is the wonderful two-step of what it means to follow Jesus. And uh, belonging to a community of people who say, I'm here for you, I'm praying for you, I'm supporting you, um, that's, that's a wonderful thing, and all of us need that. So thanks in advance for being that kind of a community. Um, so this is a series, Rediscovering Love, that will be incredibly beneficial, I hope, and helpful for those who are in marriage relationships, uh, those who are in romantic relationships, uh, but it won't just be helpful for those of you who are married and those of you who are in romantic relationships. These four talks will be helpful for all of us because relationship and life goes together and there will be something here for every one of us. Next week, you don't want to miss this one. We're going to take a look at something called the Four Horsemen of the Relational Apocalypse. And... Um, uh, there, there is some um, empirically tested data. Uh, these names might not mean anything to you, but Dr. John and Julie Gottman, they founded something called a love lab in Seattle. And uh, they are authorities on marriage. And they have been able to predict with 94% accuracy couples whether they will stay married or get divorced. Yeah, you want to stay tuned. And uh, so next week, we're going to take a look at the four horsemen of the relational apocalypse. And then we're going to take a look at some characteristics of the relational masters and how they compare with the relational disasters. And uh, again, I think you're going to find it incredibly helpful. And then we'll take a look as we move through the series about the immense, beautiful love of God and, uh, and what God is requiring of us. 
Uh, once we've tasted and seen of his immense love, what does that mean now for us as we make our way in the world? So I do promise that there will be something for everyone as we make our way through this series of scripture talks. But today, we're going to talk about the two-way street of love and respect. And uh, this is huge. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're in a romantic relationship, uh, this is worth the price of admission today. Uh, it, it, is, it literally has the capacity to change your marriage relationship. And, uh, and not just, again, for those who are married, but for, for all of us as we consider what it means to, to relate with each other in the world. Okay, so before we dive into our teaching theme for this morning, if you're able, would you stand? We're going to read our passage to ponder. We're going to recite this passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 4 each week over the next four weeks. And so um, if you would read the words on the screen aloud with me so your neighbor can hear you, uh, let's do this together. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Love that passage for lots of reasons, and we'll have a chance to unpack it in the weeks ahead, but this cord of three strands is not easily or quickly broken. And uh, you've probably seen this in, in wedding ceremonies where a minister will use a, um, um, an illustration of, of three uh, cords and wrapping them together. And uh, moms, caregivers, dads perhaps who've done braid, I've never braided my daughter's hair. That would have been a big, big problem. Um, but if you braid, you see it done properly, this this three-stranded uh, loop that happens, it's incredibly strong. And, uh, and, and rope is hard to, to break when it is wrapped around. So it's a picture, really, of two people, um, a man and a woman, and, and God himself who comes and entwines himself among them as we consider this uh, human relationship of marriage, or perhaps even just relationships where God is involved in all sorts of relationships. And um, so... My dentist just, oh, it might have been three weeks ago. I was, I was getting my, my regular cleaning uh, with my dentist, and he came in. And this was around the time, just a number of weeks ago, maybe a month or so, when there were some swarming incidents in Toronto. Do you remember those? I was at the TTC in downtown uh, Front Street, and there was an 80-year-old woman who got shoved, and, and she hit her head on the sidewalk, and lots of stuff happening. And then there was an incident on the TTC on a bus, and... Uh, lots going on. It seemed like every day for a while. So my dentist asked me, he said, he knows I'm a pastor. So he says, pastor, do you mind if I ask you a question? What is the root cause of this problem? And it's like, well, do you have a few hours, right? The root cause of this problem. And, and, and without being incredibly simplistic about something that is, you know, there's, it's, it's significantly nuanced. Um, there are, and there's a plurality of factors that are at play here. I did say to him, uh, with humility, I said, there are a lot of conversation points that would be part of this conversation. But I said, the one that strikes me as most important is the role of the family and the role of the home. What's happening in the home, uh, and, and by the way, just so I can say this too, it's not a law of one plus one equals two on this one. You can do a lot of things right in the home and kids still step out of the family and go carve out their own root in life, Right? So it's never a law, but when it comes to probabilities, it's more likely 
that when we have a family that is rooted in the right things, where the appropriate values are taught, where respect and love and safety and consideration and, and all the things that go with what I would consider Judeo-Christian worldview, when those things are celebrated in the family and when the husband and wife model what it means for their children to love and respect one another, then we're moving in all the right directions where I think we will begin to stem the tide of some of the emerging generation violence. And, and if we're gonna be compassionate people, which God has called us to be, the generation that is out there who's struggling to find their way, they're struggling to find their way for a reason. It may be perhaps that previous generations have per, maybe let them down a little bit along the way. Maybe we've compromised on some principles and some values in our own conduct, and they have caught some of the things from us, and now they're moving in this direction, and we step back and say, well, how can this be? Well, it's not just happening by accident. It's happening because they are a byproduct of something. And so as a Christian community, I think it's really important, and this is where we have so much in common with our Catholic brothers and sisters, advocates for the family, Advocates for marriage, advocates for celebrating God's beautiful, glorious plan and program for the family unit. But there are no perfect families. We've all come from them. We've all built one. And we know because there are no perfect people that there are no perfect families. And so um, we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks kind of drilling into this. But this has massive social implications on how we relate with each other. When you break life down, if we experience a high quality of life, it is very much closely associated with the level of quality in our relationships. Whether it be family of origin, whether it be in the workplace, our friendships, uh, these are huge um, contributing factors to a high quality of life or perhaps a diminishing quality of life. when I was a younger person growing up, and maybe you can relate to, relate to this, I had this idea that there was a one and only for me. Did you have that idea that if you could find that one person, right, God had made one person for you? And it caused me enormous stress because I, in my mind, I had this idea that if one person made the wrong decision, everything in the universe would be messed up, right? And, and the moment you're in a dating relationship, and this was my issue. This was, this was my issue with Pia as we dated for four and a half years. If there were moments along the way when our relationship seemed like it was somewhat out of sorts, it was almost like, oh, this can't be, this can't be from God. This must not be my one and only. And, and what an immature, I'm sorry, what an immature view of, number one, the way God works in the world, and, and number two, um, how relationships work. If you think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham and Sarah had their promised child, Isaac. And Abraham did not want Isaac to marry a Canaanite woman. So he sent his servant back to his family, extended family, looking for a spouse for his son, Isaac. And if you read the text, I think it's in, in Genesis 24 or so, you'll find littered in that passage that God was superintending the whole process. God was guiding, and he brought Rebecca and Isaac together. It was something of his doing. And it's a beautiful story, and it kind of holds out hope for the one and only idea, right? 
where God's kind of guiding along the way and you meet your one and only and there you go and it's happily ever after. If you read the story about Isaac and Rebecca, it wasn't happily ever after. It was something God was smiling over, but these two people are, you know, manipulating each other, playing favorites with their kids, deceiving each other. There's all sorts of power-up games and manipulation, and it's not good at various points along the way, but this was the gift that God had given to Isaac, right? When God leads you to a spouse, it is not happily ever after endings. It can be a lot of hard W-O-R-K. If you and I make it for decades of loving our spouse, it will be because we crash through a host of quitting points. It will be where we learn to understand others rather than seeking to be understood ourselves. It will be where we became a student of the other person and chose to love them and to offer respect for the other and accept them for who they are. But the moment we demand that they change to become like us, or we have this idea of fairy tale endings, we will bounce from relationship to relationship to relationship, looking for the rest of our lives for the one and only. And I say this to people now that I'm a more mature version of myself. Instead of looking for the one and only, become the one and only, right? Instead of finding, going out there to find God's best, become God's best. He will lead you and guide you to what is best. And I always say this, just like God brought the animals by Adam to name them, but no suitable helper was found, God will bring all sorts of women and men by you for you to choose. And you get to choose. Uh, Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, you get to choose, but they must belong to the Lord, right? He says, here's the circle of your freedom. It's pretty wide, but within that circle of freedom, make sure you choose a believer, Because if Jesus is at the center of your life, why would you want to be attracted to somebody where Jesus is not at the center of your life? Now, once you've made that decision, then that's a whole other ballgame. But leading up to that decision, it's important that we choose and we choose well. So I just want to dismantle that myth that if you're having trouble in your marriage right now, don't say I married the wrong one. This is your one and only. Now let's make this work. Now, let me, just, let me just put a little caveat out here. I know the world we're living in. Matthew 19. We'll see how far we get through the sermon today because I got all these notes and I'm going everywhere, okay? <laughs> um, in Matthew 19, Jesus was tested by his religious friends. They came to him and said, is it permissible for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus says, well, have you not read? And he goes on and quotes, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father, be united to his wife, the two become one flesh. And then they said, well, why did, why did Moses permit um, you know, us to issue a certificate of divorce and send our wives away? First century passage. And he says, because your hearts were hard. It was not supposed to be this way from the beginning. But remember this about God. God understands the human condition. That's why he sent his son. He allowed there to be a provision of divorce because he understands the human condition. So I do you a disservice when I only live in the realm of the ideal and only teach God's ways as they were intended with design and not bring you to also the real, the ideal and the real. Jesus makes room for the real. He makes room for the real. And so that's why in Malachi, he writes and says, God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate divorced people. There is life after divorce. 
And so if you're in that zone over here where the marriage failed, guess what? God has not given up on you, and he is a redeemer of all things, including failed marriages. So that needs to be held in tension as we celebrate the ideal. I do a disservice if I just live in the real only and not call you to the ideal because the ideal is beautiful and it's good and on the other side of it, there's tremendous blessing and and he tries to save us from all sorts of pain and and hurting each other. So I'm gonna hold high the ideal and we're gonna also recognize and acknowledge the real. And so... um, We're going to talk a little bit about the ideal now, the mutual power of love and respect. Um, Before we dive in, um, before we dive into some helpful principles, um, there's so much here. So I'm just trying to pull out the most important aspects to it. All right. The mutual power of love and respect. I want to leave you with three very important principles at the beginning, and then we'll unpack this passage from Ephesians 5. Okay. So buckle up, ready to go. Sometimes I talk fast. I might even be faster today, okay? Here we go. The goal of the marriage relationship is this one little word, union. Union. That's the goal of the marriage relationship. In Genesis chapter 2, right, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united, there's the word, union, is united to his wife And they, plural, become one flesh. For biblical Christian marriage to happen, according to Moses who writes this passage, there is a leaving of the family of origin. Mom and dad, it's been a wonderful ride. I've enjoyed the adventure with you, brothers, siblings, all that I've got there. But I have found the love of my life. And you'll always be family, but I'm building a new family. I'm building a brand new union I can't bring this into this. If I do that, I will mess up this. Three's a crowd in a marriage relationship. Mom and dad, I will always honor you. That's a biblical idea. I want you to be close adult friends of mine. But what's most important is right over here. Paula Maria Sanchez, also known as Pia Mom and dad, I love you. I'll celebrate you. I'll be there. If there's trouble, I'll be there to help. Yep, 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 yep. But this over here is priority number one. You know that if this doesn't get established first and foremost, we got big problems, right? And so the challenge with over here is mom and dad, family of origin needs to respect that and needs to allow there to be appropriate space for that to happen. Because if that doesn't happen, we have big, big issues. And then over here, there has to be a sense in which they say, okay, um, I'm I'm almost, I don't know if I like the term, but I'll use it anyway. I'm almost divorcing this, right? For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father, be united to his wife. The two become one. That's the point of marriage, union. If we get that mixed up, it's not a partnership, it's union. And... It's got deep, profound biblical ideas. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, made in his likeness, the three in one, the two become one. Paul writes and says, you cannot join your body with a prostitute, Paul writes. You've been united with Christ. 
How can you take him through that? There is this big union piece. The picture of the marriage relationship is supposed to be a picture of the body of Christ, the way Jesus relates to his church. Remember, we are called the bride of Christ. And so something profoundly spiritual is happening in the marriage relationship. And it is a picture, and the point of it is union or oneness. All right, secondly, God's kind of love is unconditional and sacrificial. Uh, We celebrated communion, right? But God demonstrates his love, uh, his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to be eligible for his love. He loved us first. Pastor Gary prayed that earlier, right? We love God because he first loved us. God's kind of love is unconditional and sacrificial. And then the third point is this. Respect is about awe and esteem, which brings us to our text this morning. And so the goal of marriage is union. God's kind of love is unconditional and sacrificial. These are big ideas and we'll flush them out in just a moment. And respect is about awe and esteem, okay? I laid all that out and now we'll kind of drill down a bit. Ephesians chapter five, this is our passage for today. And then we'll talk about love and respect and how it's so important for both husband and wife and then we'll land. All right, here we go. Submit to one another. This is one of those passages, by the way, that has been so easily misunderstood and abused. And so I need to stop and pause along the way to make sure that we are clear about what Paul is writing. This is important, this very first verse, because some husbands, well-intentioned perhaps, have misused this passage. At the very beginning, Paul writes and says, submission is twofold. Both the husband and the wife are supposed to submit out of reverence for Jesus. So he says, submit to one another. That means husbands are to submit to their wives too in some way. Honey, we're going to another church. I don't like this. (laughs) Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Jesus is at the very center of of the Christian marriage and we are called right out of the gate in this passage for both the husband and the wife to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. Wives, he says, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. He's reiterating. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, a protective covering. His body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, We're going to move on to husbands now. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Self-sacrificing love to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, Paul says, Husbands ought to love their wives as their very own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Remember, the two have become one. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Then he quotes this passage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united, underline that word, to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And he says, how does this happen? This is a profound mystery. 
but I'm talking about Christ and the church. See, he's going back and forth between the, the church and Christ and the husband and his wife. However, he says, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Powerful, powerful passage there. All right, so this passage is dealing with how Christians ought to consider approaching healthy marriage relationships. And and Jesus is so much a part of this relationship. It's out of reverence for Christ that the whole marriage relationship is pursued. Um, And the love that is expressed here is to be God's kind of love. Deeply sacrificial, honoring and preferring one another. And, And it has been suggested before that every Christian marriage relationship should take the form of a uh, symmetrical triangle. So a symmetrical triangle is all sides are of equal length. With God at the very top of the triangle, the husband and wife at the bottom, as the law of the symmetrical triangle works, as each partner, husband and wife, move towards God, what happens? They get closer to each other. Remember the ideal and the real? Here's the ideal. God is at the top, and the husband and wife are on a spiritual pursuit together. As they get closer to him, they get closer to each other. That's the ideal. Here's the real. Doesn't always work that way. So sometimes what happens is the wife, or perhaps the husband, is on a spiritual adventure with God, and they are getting closer and closer to God. Now what is happening, and this is a challenge, this is the realm of the real, now we don't have the symmetrical triangle any longer because all sides are not of equal length. As one partner gets closer to God, what's happening? They're moving further from the spouse. It's not a symmetrical triangle any longer. And so, when we're on a spiritual pursuit to chase after God and to love him wholeheartedly, it may be that if both of you are not on the same page moving towards Jesus, you may have problems in your marriage because of your strong devotion to God. I thought Jesus came to make everything easier and happier. And I think Jesus himself said that he came to bring a sword. Husband against wife, mother against daughter. When Jesus is in his rightful place and somebody else is digging in their heels, it's not necessarily a smooth ride through the rose garden, if you know what I mean because you're on two separate pages. So what are you going to do? This is the big question. Maybe for some of you in this room, this is where you're at right now. What am I going to do? I value this marriage relationship. It's really, 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 really important to me. God's called me to this. Yes, he has. But has he called you to that first, or has he called you to himself first? Ooh, quiet. (laughs) Can I give you the answer? You know what it is. He has called you to himself first. The marriage relationship is secondary to your deep devotion to God. Now, out of your deep devotion to God, what will happen? Oh, you'll choose love and respect. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But I am going to pursue the one true God with my whole heart, right? What does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's one and the two are the same. But I start with God. And so it would be a wonderful thing if your wife or your husband came along with you, but there are no guarantees that will happen. 
And if that is not the case, you could have a out of shape marriage. And how do we deal with out of shape marriages? I'm glad you asked. How do we deal with out of shape marriages? Here is how we do it. Men thrive when respected. You might want to write this one down. Men thrive when respected and women flourish when loved. Men thrive when respected and women flourish when loved. When a man feels disrespected, um, let's use the image of an oxygen hose. When a man feels disrespected, it's like he can't catch his breath. It's like somebody's on the hose, right? There's efforts of disrespect, intentional or unintentional. He feels like he is suffocating. He can't breathe because he's feeling disrespected. For the woman, when she isn't experiencing this thing called being cherished and loved, she feels like something is getting in the way of her taking her next breath. This is like life and death for the man and the woman. The man needs to be respected and the woman needs to be loved. Here's where the problem ensues. I'm feeling disrespected because you're standing on my hose. Well, I'm going to stand on your hose. I can't breathe. Well, you're not going to breathe. I'm going to wait till you respect me before I'm going to love you. Or until you love me, I'm going to withhold respect. You see how this goes, right? Uh, An author has called it the crazy cycle. Um, The destruction of the crazy cycle goes like this. And Dr. Egerich describes it this way. Without love, she reacts without respect. And without respect, he reacts without love. Who is going to interrupt the crazy cycle? Someone needs to stop it. And so here's one of the hardest things to do when you do not have your needs met yet to choose any way to take your foot off the hose and meet the other person's need. Somebody has to go first. If both of you dig in your heels and say, I am literally dig in your heels and say, I'm going to stay on the hose, then both of you will suffer. And probably the marriage relationship will be miserable at best if it survives. So the key here, it sounds very simplistic, and maybe it is at first glance, but it really isn't. It's quite profound. If we will give one another what we need, we will find ourselves very likely over time absolutely flourishing. Absolutely flourishing. It's simple, but it's huge. So it starts with mutual respect. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. The very last verse, by the way, and this is worth mentioning, says, and the wife must respect her husband. Can I speak to all the women in the room for just a moment? Will you let me do that? The wives must respect their husband. In the original language, it's where we get the word phobia, fear. Two ways of looking at fear. Here's the incorrect way. Wives, you should be afraid of your husband because he can be heavy-handed. That's the wrong way to interpret that passage. That's not the way that passage is intended to be 
understood. That word also means we are called to fear God, right? Not because he carries a big stick, but the fear of God is literally loving reverence. To fear God is not to cower in the corner and be afraid of him and say, God, stay away from me. To fear God is to lovingly honor and esteem him and acknowledge his greatness and to, and to have this elevated view of him. Wives are to respect their husbands, not out of fear and cowering away. That's abusive and wrong, 10 out of 10 times. We're talking about loving reverence. Now hold that in mind, because I'm gonna talk to the men now, okay? Loving reverence. And what woman would not want to lovingly revere their husband when this happens? Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. He surrendered himself. He went to the cross, sacrificed, laid down his life. So when the marriage relationship is working right, men, you go first, right? Men sacrifice first. They lead by example. They choose to lay their lives down for their wives. And then their wives say, I have no reason to be afraid of that man. That man has already given everything up because he loves me that much. Do you see how that works? If men go first and say, hey, you're supposed to respect me, <laughs> that's wrong. That's not what the Bible's teaching. The Bible's teaching husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church, and then wives see this beautiful example just like the church sees the example in Jesus and says, what else would I do? I wanna run. I wanna run to the Lord Jesus. I wanna run to that man because he's got my best interests in mind. So there should be no abuse in the house of God. And there should be no abuse in the house of God in using Ephesians chapter five to justify it. That would be unbelievably unacceptable. And if anybody ever does that, Pastor Dave is coming, coming to look for you with a shepherd's staff. Okay, can we be clear about that? Husbands lead, lay down your life, sacrificial love. Wives respond. It's like a two-step dance. No one's stepping on anybody's oxygen hose now. It's a beautiful place. Everyone's breathing in fresh air. It's great. The two-way street of love and respect doesn't get any better. It's awesome. But someone's got to go first. The biblical way, the man goes first. But if perhaps the man's not going first, and if he is not being abusive, I need to qualify that. If he's not being abusive, then the woman needs to respond as well by respecting her husband. Love and respect. Um, okay, so husbands lead with sacrificial love. Wives follow with admirable respect. I think we've chased all that down today. Let me leave you with four takeaways. Here's the four takeaways really quickly. Um, focus on the story, not the storm. Focus on the story and not the storm. What I mean by that is there will be storms that happen in marriage relationships or in any relationship for that matter. It'll get hard uh, the season of life just gets harder. Um, both my wife and I have, have parents that are getting older, and we have children as well that are getting older, but we're like in the land between. We're parents and we're kids, and we're doing our best to help here, and we're doing our best to help here, and we know our, we're trying to know our place. Um, there will be seasons when it's harder than at other times. 
But don't get preoccupied with the storm. Focus on the story. And what is the story? God is writing a love story through your life, and it's gospel all over it, and it's the body of Christ all over it. Your marriage is a picture of God's redemptive plan for the world. Keep your eye on the redemptive story, not just the storm. Secondly, shared experiences bring people together. Um, Have numerous shared experiences with the people you want to live in relationship with, whether it's friendships, romantic relationships, marriage relationships, even with your children have shared experiences. It's so, so important. We bond when we spend time with the people we care about. And um, moms and dads, caregivers, um, we've got something for you this, this Wednesday night, actually, right on the 15th. It's called a, uh, I've got it written down here so I don't forget, a parent's night off. You can come, drop off your kids, and go for two hours between 6 and 8.15 and go to a coffee shop, go have a bite to eat, do whatever you want to do. Go have a shared experience together, and the church will help you. Head over to kingstreet.org, sign up for that. There's a small little fee because all the kids get pizza, and uh, we'll make sure we look after them and give you a night out. So shared experiences bring people together. Make sure you're not two nights, two ships in the night, so to speak, because that can become a big problem in relationships. I say this often around here, quality time happens in the middle of quantity time. So the more time you spend together, this is number three, the more likely you're going to have one of those moments when it's just a rich, memorable experience. Quality time happens in the middle of quantity time. And then here's the last one. Be honest about the shape of the marriage that you're in right now and your proximity to God. What's the shape of the marriage? This would be a great conversation point to have with your spouse over Valentine's week. Where are we at when it comes to the law of the Christian uh, symmetrical triangle? And this is not a judgment conversation to say, I'm closer to God than you are. Listen, the moment you say you're closer to God than somebody else is, you're probably not as close to God as you think you are. And so uh, we're not getting into throwing rocks at the other and saying, how come you're not more like me? It's just being honest to say, where are we? And where is God, most importantly, in this relationship as you move uh, again toward him and hopefully toward each other?